0: A reading from Acts Peter standing with the 11 raised his voice and addressed the crowd let the ho- entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah this Jesus whom you crucified now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other Apostles brothers what should we do Peter said to them Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation." So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. The word of the Lord.
1: This is from a letter from Peter. If you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you've purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not a perishable, but imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. The word of the Lord. of our Lord Jesus Christ
2: according to Luke. Now on that same day, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, "'What are you discussing with each other while you walk along?' They stood still, looking sad, and then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? And they replied, oh, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how they'd been known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise
3: to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. One of my favorite films, which I've talked about in here before, is A Razor's Edge. In it, Bill Murray plays Larry, a man born into the upper crust of early 20th century American society. As Larry graduates college, he decides to join the war effort in World War I. There were about 10,000 Americans who joined the war before America entered the conflict, most of them as ambulance drivers, and that's what Larry does. And over there he sees some pretty terrible things and someone dies saving his life. And then he comes home to a cushy job as a stockbroker and a beautiful fiancé from the best of families. And he decides he can't do it. He wants to find what is truly meaningful in life, what is truly of value. He wants to know what it means to live a good life And he doesn't think he can do that from a position of comfort and privilege. And he offers his fiancée to come with her. But for her, her highest values, which she thinks is most important in life, is security, safety, a domesticated existence. And so she rejects him. Marries his best friend, who becomes a stockbroker. They become wealthy and lose it all during the crash of 1929, and become dependent upon her family. Larry's life's a little different. He goes on to be a fish packer, a coal miner, working various jobs and the whole time studying, studying the great religions of the world, praying, meditating, trying to learn what it means to really live. And in a Buddhist temple in Tibet, he finds what he's looking for. He decides to go back to his friends and family to share what he's learned. Meets a new woman, gets engaged again, and then the film changes very suddenly as his first fiancée causes the death of his second fiancée out of jealousy and anger at him for leaving her. And at the end of the film, he tries to explain to her why he's not filled with bitterness And what he learned out on that road. And it falls on deaf ears. And he says so desperately, You just don't get it, do you? But it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. I couldn't help but think of that scene when I read the gospel passage from today. The disciples are trapped They're trapped by what they believe is most important in life. They are trapped by their own highest values, their most deeply held convictions about what God is, about what salvation is, and about who the Messiah was supposed to be. Despite everything that they had seen and everything Jesus had taught them, they were still convinced that salvation was a political reality and that the Messiah was supposed to be a political leader. And the death death of Jesus confirms only to them that he was not who they thought he was. So blinded are they by their presuppositions that they cannot see Jesus when he's walking with them out on that road. All they see is a stranger alongside them. And what are Jesus' words to them? Oh, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. You just don't get it, do you? And over and over again, our most deeply held values, our convictions, our theological and religious beliefs can become walls. Walls between us and other people. Walls between us and God. I remember I was once leading a Christian club at a high school. And one of the teachers there learned about some of my more eclectic religious beliefs. And he came to me and asked, do you believe the gospel? Beautiful question. Could have been an opportunity for us to open up to one another. To question our own beliefs and be open to someone else's beliefs. To deepen our understanding of God. But the truth is, I never felt more judged than when I was asked that question by that man. And the truth is, if I asked everyone here what the gospel is, I'd probably get a hundred different answers. And many of you might be shocked by the answers the person next to you would give. And the truth is, we know that. In this church, we know we are surrounded by people with vastly different moral, political, and theological beliefs than ourselves. Those beliefs don't have to be the limits of our imagination. They don't have to put God in a box. They can be an opportunity to learn from one another, to learn about one another, to discover Jesus Christ in the person standing next to us. But more often than not, among Christians, they are walls. They become the limit of our experience of God and of one another. Christian history is full of endless debates and arguments and schisms and fractures over every minute detail of Scripture, over moral and political disagreements, and that continues to this day. Christianity itself is often at war within itself and often at war with those outside of its walls. Endless debates endless conflicts endless questions we rarely find that place that P, that the epistle talks about of love and putting love first we're very good at calling everybody else to repentance but not very good more often than not of taking a position of repentance ourselves that's certainly true of me so sometimes you have to survey The scene of the world and see what Christianity has actually done, and say with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, are we still of any use? Is there any place in which we find God saying to us, now you get it? Recognize where the disciples finally recognize their Lord and Savior in the breaking of the bread. You see, when we come to this altar rail, we put all of those questions and all those debates and all those conflicts aside, and we become one in the sharing of a meal. We take a position of humility and receive what is offered and say, whatever else is true, we together see God in this. We are at the same level and one people in the breaking of the bread. And the truth is is that's meant to be an education. It's meant to teach us the way life is supposed to be both inside and outside the church. It's a glimpse of the kingdom. And if we can allow that moment to change us, to shape who we are, then we can live out that kingdom more effectively outside. If we can recognize our Lord and Savior in the breaking of the bread, we may be able to recognize Him more easily in the stranger on the road. Amen.